Welcome to the Be Real Podcast. I'm Diana Gasparoni. I'm a visionary psychotherapist, CEO, and founder of Be Well Psychotherapy and Be Her Programs. I am Ednisha Salisbury. I am a therapist, speaker, trainer, and co-creator of Black Woman Be Whole. Each week, we will talk about the journey of mental health wellness. We will talk about why your mental health is just as important as your physical health and the connection that being mentally well has on all areas of your life. We will be interviewing psychotherapists, doctors from both Eastern and Western disciplines, authors, change makers, thought leaders, and more. Our mission is to bring you information that is both thought provoking and encourages you to look closer at your mental and emotional well-being. We give you tips and insights to taking the next steps. If you have already gotten into the door, we'll get you to go a little deeper. Each week, we're going to have real conversations, helping you work through your mental wellness questions and reminding you that you are not alone. Mental wellness is our passion. We practice what we preach. It is our mission to touch as many souls as we can with this content and leading you to a place of mental clarity and well-being. So for the next hour, let's work together, lay back on the couch and get real. Another episode of the Indigo 108 Takeover for Be Real podcast. And I am so excited to be here today with our guest, who is a good friend of mine, a great human in general, and does really, really important work in the world. So I'm going to get right on into it and introduce Shamina Rao, who uses she, her pronouns. And Shamina is a full spectrum doula lactation counselor, soon to be IBCLC, which is a board certified lactation consultant. And Shamina will tell us a little bit more exactly what that means. And also a prenatal yoga teacher. So a little bit about Shamina, just some background is she was born in India, started her life there. And then she and her family moved around quite a bit through India, the Far East, parts of Africa, and landed, lucky for me, in New York, which is where I met Shamina um, when we were both yoga teachers together and continue to be. And Shamina is also a mother of two wonderful humans, and that informs her work and her life and how she kind of moves through relationships as well and the things that are important to her. I'll just open it up and I'll let Shamina explain a little bit more about where she's coming from and what she does. So I just want to welcome you, Shamina, to the show today. Thanks, Liz. It's so nice to be here talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be having this conversation with you. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about my work as a doula and a lactation counselor and the different kinds of roles I, I hold within those roles and different capacities. I actually entered reproductive work through a nonprofit's full, full spectrum work. So explain to the listeners what exactly full spectrum means for you in your work. So full spectrum doula work for me is where we're supporting all birthing choices. We're supporting a person's right to choose what is right for them, whether they're choosing an abortion or whether they're choosing to continue on with the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And the full spectrum work that I um, have done in New York City, I did um, through a nonprofit organization in a New York City public hospital. And this work is, is and was incredibly important because we still see this landscape 
of reproductive justice being threatened across the nation. We see how we still need to really be very cognizant and aware of how we're protecting people's rights to choose. I want to point out that while you and I are having this conversation, literally while we are having this conversation, the Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments on the case that could be instrumental in overturning Roe v. Wade. And uh, yeah, so this is this is relevant. This is important. We're talking about human people. We're talking about the attempt to control people's bodies and their lives. And, um, and it just underscores and highlights why what you do in working with people, seeing people, listening to them, supporting their decisions is crucial and makes all the difference in the world. So I just, I feel like you, you are one of the people that I know that has this ability to hold all of these complexities in a way that I don't witness very often. And um, we didn't plan it to, we didn't plan this conversation to happen on this particular day, but what you do matters in terms of not just the people that you work directly with, but the people in the wider landscape that you're talking about. So thank you for explaining what that, you know, what that full spectrum is and why it's important. I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt, keep going. No, no, um, you are right. It's, it's, it's incredibly important. And we're not just affecting the people that we're caring for now, we're affecting future generations and, um, and, and the way people can exist, you know, freely and safely. As a birth doula, um, I've held various positions as a birth doula as well, where I have supported birthing people in my private practice, where in those situations, I get the opportunity to meet people in advance, sometimes months in advance, we develop a relationship, we do so much education and prenatal work together, where we have time to build trust. And then I have worked as a birth doula in situations where I'm part of a care team and I might show up at their birth as a volunteer doula. And in a matter of minutes, I have to establish that trust. And I have to hold space for a person that I maybe haven't had the privilege of getting to know before. But you know, regardless, as doulas, we're holding space, judgment-free care and unconditional continuous support for people in in an incredibly intense transition of their lives. And in many cases, for some very vulnerable. Right. And part of my birth um, doula work then sort of transgresses into postpartum work and Mm -hmm. lactation support, where from the time of birth, we're also advocating for a lot of the newborn procedures to be delayed, to advocate for skin to skin, and all of these things that promote breastfeeding and chest feeding. Skin to skin is where the birthing parent holds the newborn baby um, with no barrier between them, no blanket, no clothing, no anything. And it um, sparks the bond and the instincts of both the parent and the baby to have successful outcomes. Absolutely. And, you know, you would think that that's such a simple thing that why, why is it something that we have to go and advocate for? But, you know, I think we're so caught up sometimes in the medicalization of birth that it becomes so programmed, you know, and baby comes out and there's all these things to do for baby, but we have to take a moment to pause Mm -hmm. and to support and respect the physiology of, of, of what's come into being. Obviously, 
assuming there's nothing else medically going on and we're doing this safely, it's very important because we see, we see statistically how it, it improves breastfeeding rates months down the road if we've right. provided that. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I'm remembering that one of the signifiers of a doula in this perinatal, meaning pre-birth, birthing and post-birth experience is that the doula is a non-medical uh, support giver and caregiver and how important that is to have someone whose reason for being in the room is not for the taking care of the specific medical needs of anyone, uh, you know, the parent or the baby, but that there is someone who is non-medical who is in the room to be there for care and for support and all of that. And yeah. it makes me also think about, you know, yoga and Ayurveda and how those are also ways to support this turning point, as you mentioned, in somebody's life, this really potentially vulnerable time, this empowering time. How do you bring that in? How do you bring in the yoga and Ayurveda in, in the work that you're doing with people, whether they're, you know, birthing a baby or postpartum or deciding to terminate or any of that? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think I'll take a little step back and just tell you that when I, as a yoga teacher, as a birth doula, um, as an abortion support doula, as a, a lactation counselor, I don't see, I see the interconnectedness of, of those roles. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's incredibly important when we provide care prenatally, because we know that the better prenatal care and support folks get, the better birth outcomes they have, the better birth outcomes they have, the better setup they are to have a better postpartum experience. And directly related to that are um, breast and chest feeding rates. For me, my yoga practice is really tightly connected to everything else that I do. It's the way that I can stay centered that I can stay grounded. I'm entering and exiting different spaces, different birth situations, different energies, different shifts, and a lot of uncertainty. It's a tool, it's a practice that I rely heavily on to prepare me for that landscape, but it's also a practice that I rely heavily on to, to renew and to recover and to rest, right? To keep myself going. So I think of sustainability. This work is hard as a care provider for all, all of us that are holding space for people. And we need to show up in the best way that we can so that we can stay steady for, for all the things that might come up. Um, and when I, uh, when I teach yoga, Liz, you know this from coming to some of my classes, is I teach through the lens of the, of the chakras, of mm. the energy systems and centers in our body. I talk about finding them, like accessing them, you know, where does the power of our voice lie and why is that important? You know, how is that important in life? It's important every day in life that we take this yoga practice, that we learn how to access these like true parts of ourselves. And then how do we put them into practice? And birth is one place for sure, where we need to find our voices. We need to ask ourselves the questions of of our individual truths and what do we need? Who right. do we need right. to help support and bring that out in us? Where are the safe spaces that we are able to, to, to flourish and you know, be nourished? I think the other thing with me, with yoga, Ayurveda, and all the, the other work that I do is, is, is the idea of holistic care. 
you know, knowing and treating the whole person and all aspects of them, understanding their, their medical histories, their journeys, their cultural backgrounds, you know, right. possibly their, their um, experiences and their traumas. And how can we help not just move from there, but maybe take a step back and repair and heal so that one can enter a space supported more. I think integration is really important too. Like how are we, I talked a little bit about like this shifting world around us and Ayurveda is so key in this for us. Like how do we move with the world that's moving around us? How do we support our bodies? How do we support our minds so that we can, so that we can feel this change, how that we can ask these questions about how, what do we need to cope? What do we need to give ourselves to lift ourselves up, to offer extra compassion and find the space that we might surprise ourselves. We might surprise ourselves when we have created the foundation and the strength to make ourselves feel safe and let ourselves just go, let ourselves be who we need to be, um, that we, we might surprise ourselves. Yoga is the place of, of going into yourself, not going around, going in through the spaces and a lot of self-study. And when we're, with the work we're doing in yoga, we're not just doing on our mat, we're doing it out in the world. We're taking the practices and addressing on a larger scale, we're addressing diversity, we're addressing anti-racism, we're addressing respect for all and yeah. it's, and all choices. And when you, you know, when you say, talk about holistic care, it includes all of those things, right? The, the seeing the whole person, but also seeing how the whole person is received by the world, is treated by the world, is supported by the world. And the whole person, especially in birth, I think, uh, is, and in parenting, is not just the individual, but the people around them, right? Are they Absolutely. partnered? Is there a partner? What is that relationship like? What is that? What does that partner need? Do they have parents who are involved or not? And so what Absolutely. does that look like? How yeah. are the friends involved? All of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think that you are, the way that you describe it is so beautiful. And also, you know, it seems to me that also the fact that you grew up being exposed to so many different cultures as well, makes you uniquely positioned to see those things, to notice those things, to notice what someone's um, traditions are or preferences are, or the, the culture of the hospital or the culture of the family or, you know, the culture of birth in the place where their ancestors come from. Absolutely. And tapping deep, deep into that. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is I was really struck in your bio when I was reading this sentence. Her goal is to empower her clients by truly listening to them and advocating for the individualized care they deserve. With each birth, Shamina is honored to witness the inner wisdom and strength of her clients as they bring their babies into this world and transition into motherhood. Talk a little bit about your inner wisdom, meeting their inner wisdom and what that process is like. And are there any specific kind of techniques that you use in order to get at that? Or does it just happen, you know, flowing into it with people? Yeah, you know, it's a little bit of both. A lot of this, these deep conversations and questions we're having prenatally, and some of them we have, and we move forward with the plan and, and everything changes. Every right. single thing we talked about 
changes because in the course of labor and delivery and birthing their babies, a birthing person can find themselves in a way that they'd never expected. Mm. So it's really not only like giving them the space and the safe space to kind of let that unfold, but to maybe help them access it a little bit, you know, when we talk about, you know, how, who are you as a person in life? How do you cope with pain in life? Does that necessarily mean how it's going to, how it's going to be for you during labor? No, not necessarily. We often find ourselves, I will more often than not hear people say to me when I talked, when we process births at the postpartum, mm. that they'll say, I was so surprised that I was this way or that way, you know, that I was so quiet and that I needed to turn inward or that I was so vocal. I don't know where that came from and things like this, you know, which are so incredible because to me, I think everybody has their own path and everybody has something in their own selves that comes to the surface. And a lot of the times it isn't so much what have I done to pull it out, but what kind of space have I created to allow that to unfold, to pay attention to tendencies, to support them, to say, oh, I hear you're, you're vocalizing or you're using your voice. You know, right. is that something sound or vibration is something that resonates that somebody might have not articulated that or been able to even know that about themselves. So really, I think when I talk about individualized care, I'm talking about care that I am not saying to you, this is the way to birth a baby. This is the correct, this is the right birth. And this is the not so right birth right here. It's not about that. Right. Every, we all come to, to pregnancy with very different fertility journeys. Mm -hmm. We all come with very different cultural backgrounds. We just are all here very differently and need to be treated as unique individuals as we enter this process. Providing individualized care means just that. It's like there is not a one size fits all. What is right for one person might not be right for the other person. And so really having these true discussions of meeting my clients where they're at and supporting birth values and wishes as they define them not as I define them and not as the, the birthing world defines them is, is what resonates with people. And it's what stays with you, Liz, you might agree as a mother, it stays with you, the feelings that you have during your birth and how you were supported and how you were cared for and how you felt. Those and how the, you were yeah. seen and witnessed also, you know, the fact that you're witnessing because, you know, for somebody who's normally very quiet and then they vocalize during their birth, yeah. they might not even realize that they're vocaling, but if you're vocalizing, but if you're there witnessing it and you're like, yeah. oh, I'm noticing that you're using your voice, let's go with it. Try this, try that. Then, then it sort of links yes. the body and the mind and they're, and they're conscious of it so that they can use it and be productive in the birth with it. And then right. also, yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking, uh, I want a life doula, someone who's just there <laughs> being like, oh, I noticed that you're, you know, you're, this is how you're showing up right now. Is this sort of like a thing that we want to support and cultivate mm -hmm. and how important that is and important for mental health, because it's a rough time. Postpartum in particular can be a really, really difficult time. And many people I felt this way many people I've talked to have said I didn't even recognize myself like mm -hmm. I you know a friend I remember saying to a, a friend telling me that person before I had my baby I don't even relate to them 
mm-hmm. anymore, you know, and that that can have real mental health implications. And so yeah. being there and witnessing and saying, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm seeing you do. This is what I'm seeing from the outside looks, seems like it's being helpful. Is that true? This is how I'm seeing you be powerful. Is that true for you? Yeah. Is, um, I think it's such a, lot a cool of environment to be in. Yeah. And I think that validating, you know, and normalizing and encouraging is empowering, you know, right. because you can be in your own little space when you're in labor. And I think that when someone acknowledges like how you're integrate, how you're filling up that space, how you're occupying, you know, coping with, you know, however you call it, the, the feelings, the emotions, the physical sensations of your labor, but to somebody to acknowledge what you're doing, because sometimes I think people also tend to be a little like, we're not birthing alone, you know, in, a, in right. a cave. we're birthing like in these medical like environments often and with a lot of people. And so until you hit that stage of your labor where you really, without the conscious choice of the mind to go inward, you go inward and you turn, you know, really like the outside out Mm. until then it can feel a little bit like you're performing, Mm. you know, like you're playing a role. And so that constant reminder to say to people, like to re-empower them and to have them reconnect with themselves, just as we do with yoga um, is super important super important. So when you say often, you know, people are birthing and they're in a room with, with multiple people in there, have you ever had the experience of being able as the doula to sort of gather the team? And again, often these are happening with shift work with people who are running from room to room to room and sort of bouncing back and forth. But have you ever had the experience of being able to sort of like gather the team and be like, okay, now here we are talking of full full spectrum. Here we are. We're supporting this birthing person. We're supporting this baby who's also involved and working to be birthed, right? Have you ever had that magical moment where it kind of all comes together or what, if you haven't, what is your vision of what that would be like this team of care? I think that happens a lot of the times and sometimes it's unspoken, right? Sometimes everything, that feeling of what you just put into words happens without a lot of discussion where the care team is working to support each member of the care team, which then in turn is really supporting the birthing person. And everyone is just sort of like working well in their own, in their own roles, but coming together to provide that type of complete and whole care. Um, Sometimes just, you know, based, uh, just going back to your question, like sometimes, and it depends on every, you know, labor is different. Some are moving at different paces than others. Sometimes I do like to have like a little huddle, you know, like say when someone is, you know, active labor and is maybe ready to start um, pushing that I'll have a conversation, you know, we'll, we'll kind of put our heads together and we'll talk with the, with the nurse and with her, like, what, what are like, we're entering another phase, right? Like, how are we going to support this phase and not just assume that things will just go because that's just how they go for the last person, but like what, so just regroup you know, and not make assumptions. Um, And like you said, there's so much change in birth. There's so many shifts. There's so many different people. There's different OBs. There's different midwives. There are different nurses. And as a doula, really having the privilege of being that one thread 
that weaves through a lot of that other uncertainty and change and flux, but being the one person that is constantly listening, constantly advocating and like making sure that your birth wishes are being respected and honored and that you're getting the information that you need so that if things change, that you're making educated choices and that you don't feel left out of your own birth, which we see unfortunately happen too much. Yeah, I really am moved by that, Shamina, that continuity of care of, you know, like, I saw you who you were before. I saw you in early labor. I see you now in the, you know, I see you when you're pushing, you know, that there's that person who is providing that continuity, Mm -hmm. I think is just so valuable. And I think you and I have talked about this a lot about, you know, how do we as providers at this time in a person's life, how do we provide this kind of complete whole care? We have, like, I have a lot of different roles and expertise, but at the same time, like the thing that makes it work, I think is collaboration. I think drawing in other people that have different specialties and different expertise to take care of this one person, because this one person has lots of different needs. You have physical Mm -hmm. needs, you have emotional needs, you have maybe history needs to kind of be healed or something. So I, so much in my work, um, part of supporting my, my clients is finding care for them that not by me, but rather in including other people, other amazing acupuncturists, body workers, therapists, you know, so much mind body work there. And then after, after birth, setting them up so that they don't have the family support that they then maybe can have a postpartum doula support them, like asking them questions about their family, about expectations, helping them manage expectations. There is so much conversation about birth. And then you get your baby and you go home. <laughs> and, and it's like you disappear. It's, it's like, like you don't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. And I think that if I talk about like, what, you know, what are my wishes and dreams, like, you know, going forward for, for this work and this, for reproduction in general is yes, definitely that's continuum of care, you know, that we're supporting people through conception. We're supporting them, you know, fertility can be so isolating um, and that we then support them prenatally. We support them through birth, but then really importantly, postpartum into parenthood. And I think the thing is we need to have, we need to have the conversations. We need to have the difficult conversations. We need to acknowledge the beauty, but we need to also talk about the other stuff. Like we need to talk about the potentially how things can be difficult and how you might enter a space that that catches you off guard, you know, and, and, and how do you then, how do you get support so that birthing people don't feel alone because, and especially in this day of social media, we tend to just hear the glorified good stories Mm -hmm. and that makes you feel even more alone. So how can we talk with care and love about the things that maybe might not go you know, the way that um, everyone else talks about. So, so that they're also still okay, you know, but here's what we can do to support people. I think that's really very, very important to have these real conversations. And to build the relationships among care providers as well, so that there is that continuity also of communication about like, here's what I'm seeing a lot of, are you seeing a lot of this or, you know, that kind of thing too. And 
having a, a little eye out for all of these different things. I mean, you and I both know her, but Dr. Uh, Rita Aronoff was my son's um, pediatrician when he was born. And so she was not my doctor, but she cared for me because yes. he was an extension of me and I was an extension of him. And she um, would look at me and say, okay, you need to get outside every day. You need to get outside and go for a walk, strap him to you. It's, you know, he's not going to be too cold, feel his neck so that you know that he's not too cold, just bundle him up, but get outside because I, I, I see you, you know, just mm -hmm. you, do something for yourself. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that like, we need to care more about the providers we choose. Right that are going to support us through this entire phase. It's incredibly important when you're taking, you know, I think if, if for birthing families, I would say, take a step back. When you find out you're entering the space of like pregnancy and birth and babies, take a moment to really ask yourself, like, what is the type of care you need? What is the type of support you need? What type of person and values resonate with you? Because that provider that you pick and it isn't acceptable to be like, I don't, they're okay. They're fine. I don't really like them because I, it's a much bigger deal in, in, you know, during your labor and delivery that that person that you sort of are lukewarm towards doesn't support your values or you don't have a good rapport with. So it's incredibly important to pick that person. Well, your doula, your birth partner can be there for you, but they cannot shift and change the protocols of your practice. Right. And if they hold you know, conservative or unnecessarily, I mean, like, of, this is not where it's medically indicated. Right. Um, and they're not supporting like birth, that's, a, you know, low intervention or no intervention, physiological birth, whatever your wishes are, it is very important to ask these questions up front and take more time up front. And then on the back end, like you brought up about a pediatrician, that's incredibly important too, because mm -hmm. as a new parent, however you're feeding your baby, but if you're especially um, breast or chest feeding your baby, are you with a provider that is supportive of that? That isn't going to make you throw in the towel because it's a t difficult time anyway. Are they going to support how you're feeding your baby? Are they going to also trust you as a parent? You know, so all those things are really, really, really important when you, when you find your care and find your people. Yeah. And this particular pediatrician, Dr. Aronoff is an IBCLC as well. And you know what I realized? I cut you off at the very beginning before you explained exactly what an IBCLC right. is. So go ahead and explain that. We're kind of wrapping up. Explain what an IBCLC is. An IBCLC is an internationally board certified lactation consultant. Those that are RBCLCs have gone through a lot of training, a lot of clinical hours. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm in the midst of it. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of science history, some uh, health professionals um, can kind of avoid doing all those courses again, but I was doing all of that. Hours and hours of clinical work supporting dyads. And you can be a lactation consultant in so many different settings. You can work in a hospital setting, you can work privately and, and see babies when and 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 uh, parents when they come home. Um, more, more recently, this past year, I spent several months actually at a Queen's Hospital being a lactation um, support counselor as part of my clinical hours. And that work was so enriching because 
not only was I providing the support, I mean, to me, there's two, well, there's a lot of magical things in life, but the two things is watching a baby come into this world. Mm. And the second thing is watching a parent feed their baby. Mm. It's just, just so doesn't get old for me. Um, And I was able to, at this um, setting, be able to support families that are definitely sit in the margins that definitely are not afforded and benefit from the from good prenatal care in many instances to be able to 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 be there at a time after they've had their babies and support them in terms of how they're going to feed their babies is was was incredibly just really important work um, and I just want to say that as providers of any kind we need to always challenge and do better. We need to make sure we're paying attention to our families of color, that yeah. we're recognizing the disparities and that we're doing something about those disparities and that we're speaking up when we see their, their rights being violated because it happens. Even if things are changing, we have to constantly, we have to, it's a constant process of evolution and we need to make sure that we are trying to be instrumental in creating equity and equality in in birth. And when we see rights violations actively, but also due to negligence too. Absolutely. Well, the very last line of your bio is Shamina continues to work with advocacy groups striving for reproductive justice and birth equity in communities of color. And I want to say in a special thank you to you for being who you are, but also centering your work directly around um, that mission that you have and encouraging all of us to step into that in our own, in our own ways. I'll say, I think Liz, you and I have said this, that we're not just birthing one human, you know, we're birthing two. Yeah. And that we need to remind ourselves of how we're going to take care of these dyads and how we're going to take care of this emerging two new humans. I will say one thing, this, I, it, this quote by Maya Angelou, a lot of you might have heard, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think when you lose track or you get even cl- slightly desensitized in the work that we do. This is so important. And we need to take it very seriously that at such a sacred time in someone's life, we need to always do better, right? We need to continue to care for, but we also need to provide healing spaces um, to mend the spaces where the system has fallen short. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a healing ability for sure. I've been, uh, I've benefited from it. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And I want to thank you. And I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today and sharing yourself in that way with, um, with me and then with all the people who are going to be listening as well. Thank you so much, Liz. It was, it was such a pleasure to be here. Tell so people where they me. can, where they can find you. Um, so I'm on um, Instagram at Shamina Rao. And I also have a website, ShaminaRao.com. And you can find my um, yoga, doula and lactation services there. 
great. And we'll put those in the show notes too. And so at the end of each of these, I like to end with some sort of a breathing or mindfulness or meditation practice. So we'll do the same today. And just as a reminder, how you were so beautifully talking about this a moment ago, that these are the practices that give us the centering and the strength to speak up, to act up when we see and feel and know where injustice has happened or where there's a lack of care that is needing to be filled in and how we can be part of that filling in. So the practice that I would like to do is Chandra Bedna. This is a practice that I learned from you, Shamina. So I always think of you when I do it. Chandra means moon. And so this breathing practice is a way to draw in, sort of drink in lunar energy. And uh, in yoga and Ayurveda, the lunar energy is the energy of expansiveness, of calming, of receptivity. And again, the fact that we're sitting here and doing this recording at this time when there are people talking about clamping down and trying to control that this breathing practice can bring us into the exact opposite of what that is so that we can live in a way that is not clamping, that is not controlling, and that is expansive and receptive and makes space for everyone to be who they need to be in the world. So we'll come right on into it. I like to imagine also, and especially considering the situation today, kind of sitting in the lap of the ultimate mother. So find yourself in a comfortable seat if you're in a situation where you can do that. And then you can feel the ground under you as though you're sitting in the lap of the earth. Eyes can either be closed or you can ground your gaze downward and then you'll pick up your right hand and make the peace sign with your right hand. The pointer and middle finger come up and you bring that pointer and middle finger together. And then you touch the pointer and middle finger to the space between the eyebrows. This leaves your thumb and your fourth finger free to pinch the bony part of your nose. Pinky is just hanging out. And then you slide the thumb and the fourth finger down a little bit, down your nose to where it starts to get soft, so above the nostrils. And then your hand will stay here for the whole time. You'll block your right nostril and inhale that lunar energy in through the left. Maybe you pause for a moment and block both and then switch, exhale right. Exhaling out that fiery energy, that controlling energy. And then inhale left again. So going in a circle, inhaling left, inhaling the moon. Hold for a moment, switch, exhale right. Inhale left, drinking in calming energy. Pause, exhale right. Maybe the exhales are a little bit longer than the inhales. Inhale left. Pause, exhale right. Inhale left. Pause, exhale right. Inhale left. 
pause. Exhale, right. Inhale, left. Last one. Pause. Exhale, right. The eyes are closed or the gaze is grounded down. Keep them that way and just release your hand down. Palms can face up, backs of the hands resting on your own lap. Take a moment to feel the effects of drinking in the moon. Take a moment to either set your specific intention or be open to opportunities revealing themselves to you for good action, for filling in the gaps of care where you see them in whatever unique way uh, you will do that. And then you can float the eyes open if they're closed, wiggle fingers and toes. And have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Be Real podcast. Stay connected to us and subscribe to Be Real wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are feeling it, how about a five-star review? If our conversation sparked a question, join us in the Be Real podcast Facebook group. We hope that you have walked away with some new insights, curiosities, and ideas to better help you on your journey to mental wellness and overall well-being. I encourage you to go to BeWellPsychotherapy.com and check out our services and programs. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com. Okay, we have to stop here, but I'll see you next week.